This is an RNZ podcast. Principals warn the election of trustees who have conspiracy-driven views will be devastating for schools. They're worried about the number of people standing for school boards who are opposed to measures aimed at minimising the spread of COVID-19, such as face masks and vaccinations. That was Corin Dan on RNZ's Morning Report last Thursday, reporting the Principals Federation's concern about some school board nominees involved in COVID misinformation. And as if to prove that the problem is that just about anyone is eligible, notorious white supremacist Philip Arps put up his hand to be a trustee of Te Aratai College in Linwood in Christchurch. The Federation of Islamic Associations of New Zealand says it's the latest in a growing trend of far-right extremists trying to use elected boards as a platform for hate. Philip Arp served 21 months for sharing footage of the March 15 terror attack and is banned from the mosque in Linwood, which was of course attacked by another white supremacist on that day back in 2019. And him seeking to have a say at a local school is a clear provocation. But Lorraine Kerr of the School Trustees Association told RNZ that schools just have to trust in the democratic process. It is what it is, and I guess where there are some concerns, the democracy process kicks in, and that's when everyone, every member of the community votes. And you have to rely on the community and the sensibleness of their choice. Now, sensible local parents are extremely unlikely to elect an extremist to govern their kids' school, but recent reports of positions uncontested in some places because of a lack of candidates makes it much more likely that some with fringe views could get through, as well as in local government and in schools. And last Tuesday, RNZ's The Panel picked up on how some fringe groups had picked up on that. Yesterday, we discussed the issue of an anti-mandate, anti-vax group standing candidates in local body elections to, quote-unquote, sway the results and throw our weight around. The group uh, Voices for Freedom wanted to make the country ungovernable, unquote. Now, that has been part of a wider expose by Louisa Cleave and Paula Penfold for stuff. Now, that wider expose, Wallace Chapman mentioned, there was fire and fury, all about misinformation fueling the occupation of Parliament earlier this year. But last Monday, they reported that anti-vaccination group Voices for Freedom had told prospective local body candidates to hide their affiliations to the group. In newsletters and emails seen by MediaWatch, Voices for Freedom does indeed tell its supporters putting their names forward that they could expect support from other Voices for Freedom members locally. And they said getting six dollars to $9,000 a year for a dozen or so meetings sounds like a pretty good deal to us. On RNZ's The Panel, business consultant and podcaster Simon Pound reacted like this. You just kind of hope that if you ignore these people, they'll go away. Maybe they'll just blow themselves out like, you know, a summer storm. But not minded to just ignore them was the lobby group FACT, Fight Against Conspiracy Theories Aotearoa, which is now pulling together a kind of register of candidates with undeclared anti-vax views or affiliations. And FACT's Stephen Judd told the panel last Tuesday, screening candidates' backgrounds really ought to be the media's job. I don't think that really should be the domain of public officials to do that. That's really the domain of the media and civil society organisations. And I think what we're partly seeing is a consequence of how stretched news media are. And some are now doing this. The Capital's daily paper, The Dominion Post, for example, says it's asked all mayoral candidates in Wellington if they belong to Voices for Freedom. 
Now, under the headline, The COVID-19 Conspiracy Theorists Targeting Northland's Local Elections, Stuff's Andrea Vance said a group of eight candidates is running for office there, espousing conspiracy theories and COVID-19 disinformation under the banner of Sovereign. But in some places, there's very little local reporting and maybe no local paper at all. Local radio, where it exists, doesn't really do local politics anymore in most places. Indeed, many people around the country will end up better informed about the personalities contesting the job of Mayor of Auckland rather than the contest in their own backyard. Now, there's certainly nothing new about people with fringe views serving in local government, or even national government for that matter, and in a democracy, most people should have a shot, without officials or even the media deciding on their suitability. And most of the time, fringe candidates don't win anyway. But this week, the media were definitely worried about the possibility. This is the introduction of a cancer that is going to metastasize. There's no if and or but about it. Dr. Sanjana Hatatua from the Disinformation Project telling Dunedin-based Big Hair News last week that local body disinformation candidates could be cancerous. Now That comment was repeated by the Otago Daily Times in an article identifying current local politicians with fringe group affiliations. And Dr Hatatua also told the ODT that this would definitely have an impact on national politics too before long. And when discussing Brian Tamaki's recent claims of an umbrella movement of four fringe parties planned for 2023, former Labour Party staffer Lamia Imam said this on Nine to Noon last week. It would behoove us to take these guys seriously and what it will mean for our democracy. Um, You know, I think we've seen what they are capable of doing in terms of shutting our capital down. Maybe not right now in August, but at some stage we will have to wake up and, and sort of address this. This is a dangerous situation for New Zealand, and the failure to recognise this will be our demise. Now that echoed a warning from right-leaning pundit Matthew Hooten in the New Zealand Herald recently, and on the AM show this week, he said this. And the reason I wrote about this in the New Zealand Herald is it's not impossible that they'd do like a Jim Anderton and they'd come together in Mm. some form of alliance, that they would get into Parliament. And it's something which I think the big parties and the establishment and everybody needs to think about, just you know, at the, not number one issue, but an issue coming up to the election. What would we do uh, if that happened? And how do the big parties try to avoid this movement growing? Matthew Hooten went as far as to say that major political parties might need to now think about a grand coalition to keep the fringe ones at bay. And even outside of the outcomes of national and local elections, the powers that be might already be factoring in the risks of people with extreme views in other ways. For example... So they reckon these things are three times better than fixed or mobile cameras. Says very interestingly here, they could be used to penalise things like tailgating, not wearing your seatbelt, used in an emergency lane, mobile phone use. Says then, for these cameras can see inside the passenger compartment... And that's got privacy issues with it, which they're working through. And it also indicates there's going to need to be a law change around it to use the cameras for that. That was RNZ's Phil Pennington on Morning Report last Monday, describing newer, smarter speed cameras, which could be ready to roll out next year and which could catch a range of offences, not just speeding. On News Talk ZB the same day, host Tim Roxburgh approved, noting that fresh stats from Waka Kotahi revealed that the not-so-smart cameras we already have have picked up thousands of people a day driving under the influence of smartphones. So for me at the moment, the cameras for this sort of behaviour are the answer. 
but not all drivers will approve of more rules and more enforcement on the roads. And on Morning Report, Phil Pennington was surprised by something else he discovered using the Official Information Act. They are undoubtedly coming, but they won't say how many. They say uh, that and the cost of them is something they won't tell us. They say, interestingly enough, that's in order to protect ministers, members of organisations, officers and employees from improper pressure or harassment. First time I've seen that in an OIA, I think. Now, these days, some people are prepared to aggressively assert what they believe to be their fundamental rights and freedoms, and it might not be the last time that government and the public service has to take such steps to shield people from harassment. A sign of the times there, and one the media seem to be wising up to.